The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping it strong style The ace of podcasts On the social suplex podcast network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we will review the first three Road to Destruction shows and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the network's podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com. Slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com/slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated and features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share plus, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm doing so well. I'm glad that you're back, Jeremy. I'm glad that uh, we're back. You know, in the full swing rotation of New Japan, watching Road 2 shows as God intended. And, uh, you know, things are good. Yeah, you know, nice little uh, kickoff to the tour, Road to Destruction. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been, you know what, um, these shows, and we'll get into them, I wasn't necessarily looking forward to watching them. Let's say um, I didn't think that there was like a lot of, you know, not that there were bad builds, but nothing that was particularly piquing my interest. But once I dove into the shows and started watching them, I was like, oh, OK, like, you know, we're off to the races. They've got great, you know, talent on these uh, on these tours. They, they, I think they're doing a good job building the stories and uh it, it feels right it feels like new japan is you know i don't want to i don't want to throw the term around we've been using for the last like four years new japan's back but <laughs> you know they're they're back in the swing of you know operating you know normal after a g1 so it's pretty good yeah we had, had a question here that i want to start off with because uh I, i'm agreeing with you i feel like the start the start of the tour has been pretty good uh we had a question here from dark soldier says do you think new japan Separating the G1 finals with their first big proper destruction show 
that will have actual matches of stake was a mistake. It's just too much dead space without any intrigue in between. There's nothing exciting going on. Uh, I, I would disagree. Um, I think that the feud that is going on right now between the United Empire and um, uh, LIJ has a lot of very interesting components. Uh, Callum Newman coming in, has, he's had a really fresh, hot, young start. Like he's he's been great so far, and I see a lot of like promise in in him. Um, I, I also think that the best of seven series that's going on between uh, Team Nagata and uh, Strong Style has been very good. Uh, you know, and the, uh, this might be uh, different from other people's opinions. I enjoyed the multi-man tag team matches that they had as preview matches more than I did the main event for the Blue Justice, uh, you know, kickoff for the best of seven series. But uh, they've been very heated, very, very good. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff. There have been actually very few matches on the shows that didn't have stakes or didn't have a story. Um, it, maybe it's not something that would capture the attention of like a, uh, you know, like a Fairweather fan or somebody that is just trying to get into New Japan necessarily. It's not anything that's going to light up the territory, as they say. But I think for the diehard fans that are into the product and are watching it, it's been a really great start there's a lot of great matches a lot of good stories and i don't know i kind of uh you know after having the overload of non-stop g1 shows i thought that the break was nice maybe it was a little too prolonged but then they did three back-to-back shows boom 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 right now we're getting another little break we're gonna have one show this coming week and then we can kind of properly move into the rest of the destruction tour i don't i also don't see how this is very different from what they've done in the past this time of the year anyways. Right. I mean, this is traditional New Japan booking, traditional schedule, destruction tour, always following the G1. You build it up with some road two shows. You have multiple destruction shows. Also, there's a lot that plays from the G1, um, but you, you get a lot of rivalries built up. And yeah, I mean, I'm used to the schedule and I've been enjoying it. I think they've been adding a lot of intrigue to like the Will Ospreay, Yoda Suji rivalry, their interactions have been great. And I don't think it would have really helped to jump straight from G1 immediately to Osprey Suji for the title when they're building so much chemistry and uh, really heating the rivalry up between them, Cobb and Naito, Shingo and Great Okan, uh, the feud with um, Nagata, Team Nagata versus Strong Style. There's so many feuds that are, have been like heating up, and then we got you know Zack Saber Jr. doing a bunch of uh, TV defenses. We got mm-hmm. TMDK heating up their rivalry with Bishamon. Like they're telling stories uh, and yeah. they're, they're building to something, and I think it's going to make the destruction in Kobe and destruction in Ryogoku matches so much better based off all the work they're doing right now. Yeah, even. Um even the matches between uh, Just Five Guys and House of Torture. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they've been fantastic. You need to go watch them or, or anything like that. But these corking crowds in particular have been very much invested and reactionary um, to the antics from House of Torture. And they seem to be invested. So it's been getting at least positive reactions, which are making the matches watchable 
and they have a story to tell as well between the show and and Tai Chi feud as well as a uh, um, evil and Sonata. There now there there are some booking decisions that I don't agree with, and we can get into that once we jump into the review. But that's been very interesting. Um, I also think that the stuff with uh, there was something else that came to mind. Oh, the um, the never six man title defense and the the backstory with um, Tenzon trying to basically re- relive past glories. They did a Bro, fantastic job with that. Yeah, yeah, it was really great. And then um, even the unfortunate accident that Kanemaru um, suffered on night two they were able to salvage that match and basically turn it into the Doki show, which, you know, I'm out, you know, it's <laughs> terrible what happened with Kanemaru, but I love Doki. And like, that was fucking dope. <laughs> yeah. Huge moment for him. Big uh, crowd pop when he came out, made the save there for the team. So yeah, they've been telling a lot of great stories. There's been a lot of great stuff on this tour. There's been very little that's been meaningless. Like every matchup is either building to a title match or there's some kind of feud going on. There's very little kind of random tag stuff happening. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, but at the same time, I do see what he's saying. Like, there isn't any major matches going on, but that's the nature of a road to show. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, if the complaint is, you know, that we're not getting major matches on the road to shows, um, I think we've had a perfect mix of, you know, a few bigger matches with stakes, some title matches, some defenses and things like that. But by and large, it's been, you know, mostly uh, previews. Yeah. And that's what you're going to get. And I think that's um, a great way to, to build stuff up. Obviously, you know, they don't have a quote unquote, you know, weekly cable TV show to build up to their bigger shows. And so this is how you do it. And with new Japan, uh, you know, a lot of their revenue still comes from touring they're going from city to city. Um, that's a, a great way for them to make sure everybody's seeing what's going on. Yeah. And I mean, you know, tr- if, if, if that would be the complaint that they aren't capitalizing on the success of the G1 by running a major show, then, you know, we have to be consistent with that and pretty much apply that logic year round because, and pretty much just eliminate road to shows or, you know, never give these people breaks and always have them, you know, operating on a top level in the big matches, you know, month after month after month, it's not always feasible for that to be the case, especially after a very, very tiring, arduous G1, you know, tour. So I think they're doing a great job right now, honestly. Yeah. It'd be kind of like, you know, what if, why didn't AW follow, you know, all in Wednesday with a pay-per-view on Wednesday instead of, you know, building to like the next pay-per-view. That's a, that's a terrible analogy, Jeremy, because they did follow all in with another pay-per-view just a week later, basically. <laughs> I know, but I'm saying like <laughs> if they didn't do TV in between, there was like what, two TVs in between or one TV in between? If it was like a regular pay-per-view, like if it wasn't a regular schedule, if they did all out and now they had Wrestle Dream the next Wednesday instead of building to Wrestle Dream. We gotta be careful talking about Wrestle Dream and talking about AEW. <laughs> we're, we're getting a lot of heat over <laughs> my comments, you know. People don't want to hear the slander about AEW, you know what I mean? Yeah, man, you're upsetting the Freakazoids. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> I've held back. I haven't said anything to anybody. <laughs> uh, well, let's go into these uh, Road 2 shows. So we'll go over the results and uh, maybe just focus in on the, the bigger matches and talk about those. 
Um, so night one of the tour kicked off on September 8th from Cork and Hall for the attendance of 1087. Show opened up. We had sellout. Dope. Was was it a sellout? They said it was a sellout. So I don't know if it was a sellout for the setup, but they said it was a sellout. I don't know. Gotcha. No, night two was a sellout. Um, they claimed that night one was a sellout as well. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it was a different uh, configuration. Uh, but yeah, show opened up. We had uh, Doki and Yoshinobu Kanamaru from Just Five Guys. They defeated Risuke Gucci and Yo 11 minutes, 17 seconds. Uh, a lot of ass play. Yeah. <laughs> not feeling it. Yeah, not much of a story here. I mean, I guess these guys could be maybe heating up for Super Junior Tag League. Uh, besides that, like you mentioned, yeah, a lot of the match focused on uh, Taguchi's backside. Uh, but uh, Doki and Kanamaru got the win there. Then uh, the next match, we had the strong style team of El Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, and Ren Narita teaming up with Tomioka Hanuma to defeat Master Wato, Oscar Lube, Shoto Umino, and Yuji Nagata. And of course, this is all uh, building up to the best of seven series. One thing I wanted to point out I don't know if you noticed, but um, they're still giving. Um, oh man, what's his name? What's wrong with me? Why can't I not uh, show to Umino? God, <laughs> they gave show to Umino his own separate entrance still, even mm-hmm. apart from the rest of the team. But Ren Narita, his counterpart on the opposite side, he's still entering to other people's music along with the rest of the, the group. And I think that that's, you know, kind of playing on the contention between those two a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a little foundational thing there and. Yeah, Narita obviously is more part of this strong style unit, so they're kind of come out to each other's music. I mean, sometimes Narita's music plays, but usually it's either Despies or Suzuki's. And then, yeah, Umino commonly on this kind of ace, you know, road, he's coming out to his own music, kind of getting, you know, what kind of similar thing like Tanahashi or Okada would get if they're teaming with some geeks, you know? Yeah, it's kind of showing where he is in the, the pecking order. He's seen as the star of his crew, whereas Narita is, you know, basically still somewhat an underling in his crew because, you know, they actually came out to Suzuki's music night one, night two, they came out to Desperados. Yeah. So this was a good matchup. A lot of uh, heated uh, interactions here, all building up to the, the start of the best of seven. Then following that, we had Bad Dude Tito returning to, to Japan and being on this tour. So he teamed up with uh, Mikey Nichols and Shane Hanks, and they defeated Hiroki Goto, Toriyano, and Yoshihashi. So this is all building to the IWGP World Tag Team title match. Yep, big win for TMDK, and it was great to see Bad Dude Tito back in Japan. Yeah, great reaction from the crowd, and I think he fits in so well uh, with TMDK. So following that, we had Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Yuto Nakashima taking on Tenkoji, Tiger Mask, and Togi Makabe. They wrestled to a no contest in 14 minutes and 8 seconds since this was all building up for the never openweight six-man title match the following night. Yuto Nakashima, again, putting on serious <laughs> mass. <laughs> Thick boy. Big boy. He's going to be a bruiser. Yeah, dude. Yeah, he's definitely going to be that, that never kind of style wrestler. <laughs> But, um, you know, a lot of the story here really kind of centered on Tenzon and kind of centered on his anger and pursuit of 
Ishii and also the goal of just sort of showing that he can still go at the top level with, you know, uh, the number six man tag team champions and uh, a lot of back history between all these combatants, but him and Ishii were just going at it, going at it. And eventually he got Ishii like down in a corner after, after I believe it was a Yurnage, I can't recall, but got him down in the corner, just started attacking him and everybody jumped in the ring, was trying to pull them apart. The the referee, I think it was uh, Marty Asami. He got, uh, pushed aside and then uh he he recomposed himself and everybody pretty much separated and ichi was still down and tenzan was just still like headbutting him and kicking him and uh, asami got close again and then he tossed asami and after that asami was just like that's it no more and yeah. just called for the bell and everybody kept brawling afterwards especially tenzan and ichi um kind of just continuing their long-standing heated rivalry with one another yeah, after the bell, Ishii knocked that man down and was like <laughs> being the crap. Kind of felt bad for Tenzon. <laughs> yeah, he was like, "Hold this old man." <laughs> he's like, "I don't care how old you are. Like, <laughs> hold his forearm." But yeah, Tenzon. He was kind of bumbling around the match too. There was one spot where they're going for like a suplex, and he like fell down, and then like Ishii just like just laid it into him after that. But I still showed a lot of fire, and like you mentioned, yeah, a lot of backstory here, and yeah, along with uh, Tiger Mask and Makabe, those guys are also trying to kind of you know show that they still have a spot and they're also trying to kind of relive some of their glory too. Yeah. I mean, I I've seen some of the discourse about this particular feud, you know, this two night short lived deal that was going on during this tour. And I think the low hanging fruit from a lot of fans is just like, these guys are old. Why do we care? We don't need to see them. Tenzon can barely move. That's the story. You know what right, I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm engrossed by it. The fact that this guy is trying to hold on to the last shred of dignity and glory that he, he possibly can attain at this stage of his career before he has to hang up the boots and, you know, basically still showing the gumption and fire. I, I was engrossed in it. I thought it was good. I don't know. Yeah. It kind of makes it feel like, we you know, we could potentially be getting a, a tens on retirement show soon. You know, we saw something similar mm-hmm. With this, with uh, Nakanishi and his final run, you know, he was trying to, you know, relive his glory days, too. And so, yeah, you know, Tenzon, a long staple of this company, a guy that, you know, fought throughout the dark ages and was the top star for the promotion. And, yeah, I think this is a great way to kind of spotlight him a little bit, especially on this on this Road 2 tour. It's a never six-man titles. That titles you, you can do a hot view, like bring in Blackpool Combat Club, or you can do something cool like this with the New Japan Dads. Um, and so I think giving Tenzon the spot and this whole story of, yeah, I'm trying to hold on. Like I know that I'm going to be gone soon. So I'm trying to hold on as long as I can. Yeah. You know, that's one of the funny things you see some of the fan base, um, you know, like I said, I think it's a little bit of a lazy discourse to just dismiss what is happening here based on the fact that the guy can't go anymore. Well, it's like, yeah, obviously he can't go. We've been saying that for years and years and years and years and years. And it's not like it's not like Tenzon is in G1s. He's getting singles title shots. He's like a major focal point of, of the show. I mean, the guy hardly wrestles. And then they center a short-lived story around him, and it's compelling. And like you mentioned, Jeremy, a lot of people maybe don't remember or don't understand that like during the dark ages of this company, Tenzon was one of the biggest stars in the company, and he's a bit of an unsung hero. And so I think it's fitting that, you know, that they give him a little bit of a something, something at this stage of his career. I mean, you know, um, I don't, not to get into Western wrestling talk too much, but you've seen like 
in the the later years of guys like Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker and Triple H and you know the big stars from the past they you know almost too much were given you know their flowers and given you know uh the part-time runs and yada 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 and we don't see that so much here in New Japan so it's nice every once in a while for them to do something that you know, is a little bit off the beaten path of what we're used to in New Japan. So I don't know. I, I feel like um, if if maybe it's not for everybody, but I I don't know. I guess to me, I'm a story guy, and I think they're telling a, they told a really good story here. Yeah, it's not like he's out here challenging for the IWGP World Heavyweight Title or anything. Right. It's the never six man title, so I, I don't get how people can complain about this. <laughs> Yeah, and the other thing, too, is, like, you could be doing something far less interesting with the Never Six-Man Tag Team titles. You could have House of Torture. I I mean, I guess that's a bad analogy because they are in the main event (laughs) scene right now. But you could could have House of Torture, you know, challenging for these belts. And, I mean, you know, this is better than that. (laughs) Yeah, or or you can just kind of do the the same old, same old, have the dads against the young lions and, like, that would be fine, but how that wouldn't really advance any kind of story or character development. Yeah, who's that helping? Right. What's that for? You know, and also, I mean, um, while Okada and Tanahashi and uh, Ishii are sort of just off to the side doing their never six man tag team thing, can't they have like a little bit of a a little bit of an easier title defense? Does it always have to be? You know, BCC doesn't always have to be like one of the tip, tip, top. Like every title run has like your, you know, lower than, you know, I'm not saying like the bottom barrel, but like, you know, not the, the you know, like a keep busy tune up title challenge, you know? Right. Yeah. Like for instance, um, Zack Sabre Jr. just defended the title against Kojima. I didn't hear anyone really complaining too much about that. <laughs> It's Kojima, baby. <laughs> and before that, it was going to be Olton Bolet or Oleg Bolton, who is, you know, essentially a lion. And you didn't hear anyone being like, well, there's no way he's going to win. It doesn't make sense. It's like, no, it's interesting. It's interesting from that perspective. And it's interesting from this perspective. It's okay to do things differently sometimes. Yeah. So uh, then following that matchup, we had Hiromu Takahashi, Shingo Takagi, Tetsuya Naito, and Yoto Suji from. LIJ defeating the United Empire team of Callum Newman, making his New Japan debut. Great Okan, Hanare, and Jeff Cobb, 13 minutes and 6 seconds. I think I might be telling on myself a little bit here, Jeremy, but um, the music that they've been coming out to, I've never heard this United it, Empire music. Is it it's, new? It's recent, yeah. Okay. When did they start using that? Um, I'm guessing it had to be the end of the G1, because when I came back, like... The New Japan like uploaded it right before Destruction Tour started. Oh, okay, because like I I didn't know they had new music. I'm like, what is this? It's I mean, it sounds good, but I just I was like, did I skip over something and I missed it? I don't know. Yeah, but uh, I like it. I also like Callum Newman. Um, I I think he's really really good. Um, a a, a a tad bit green, but like not in a terrible way. Just in a sort of you know still acclimating to the environment, but there are a lot of things he did that didn't scream to me like young boy. Like there was a lot of like little cells and you know how they say like the greats are always really good at doing the little things. He was doing a lot of those little things in these matches and 
bro, he is fucking fast. Yeah, uh, his nickname is the Prince of Pace. Um, and yeah, he was definitely picking the pace up when he was in there running the rope super fast. That's his whole uh, gimmick. And yeah, this is pretty cool. It's almost kind of a similar situation to Kosei Fujita being a part of TMDK a little bit where United Empire has their own quote-unquote kind of young boy, their own young lion. He is uh, training in the Nogue Dojo, but, you know, he's a, a part of United Empire and, you know, well said in the backstage promo, like, you know, he can't have cool gear. You know, they're, they're limiting what his gear can look like, his, you know, his music, all that stuff. They're kind of treating him like their own young lion, kind of comparing to what they did to Dan Maloney. They gave Dan everything, and then he turned their back and joined Bullet Club. So, yeah, they're treating this guy like a young lion. Also, like you mentioned, he he does a lot more moves than a traditional young lion, kind of does more little things, a lot of great selling, you know, apprentice of Will Ospreay. And Will saying this guy is going to be, uh, you know, future world champion. He's going to be a main event in Tokyo Domes. And, you know, he's off to a good start so far. So, you know, and that's another thing, too, is, like, I saw complaints about him coming in and having the green stripe and having the nickname. And it's pretty clear to me that, yes, while he is being somewhat treated as, like, a young boy or a green boy in the group, He's not quite necessarily like a no gay dojo young lion. In some ways, it's very reminiscent of how the Bullet Club had Hikaleo for all that time, where Hikaleo was like, yeah, he was kind of a uh, like a lion, but not really. Right. Yeah. And Callum Newman is not really. I mean, yeah, he might be work- doing some stuff in the dojo, and he might be getting some of that training and experience, but like, it's pretty clear he's not a young lion. He has. A nickname because he's not a lion because he came he's coming from the uk scene and uh, you know and he has his own move set and everything like that yeah it's being limited somewhat so they are replicating that but i mean it's pretty clear the guy's not a no gay dojo young lion in in the spirit of antonio anoki <laughs> right yeah uh car also similar to uh juice robinson when he first came into new japan um, you know, yeah. he, he went through the system, but he, he kept the braids. He kind of kept his CJ Parker look from NXT. Um, didn't win a ton of stuff, but you know, kind of started off in that kind of that role, that almost that quote unquote kind of young lion role, but not really. I mean, the thing with with uh, I was gonna say CJ Parker. The thing <laughs> with Juice is Juice was classified as a young lion, but you're correct. Like it was really short lived. He wasn't in that dojo very long. Like he was pretty much almost a finished product already, and he came in as sort of like a respect thing. So that's all also kind of similar a little bit but to me i just see him as like he is the apprentice of united empire and they're treating him somewhat like a lion but like make it clear he's not part of the no gay dojo right yeah but um i did think he was very impressive um i thought that this was probably the best match of the night or one of them and uh again just very uh impressed with what i'm seeing out of the lij um united empire feuds that are going on uh everybody's doing really really well in each role and i think that the feud that's going on between um naito and jeff cobb has been pretty interesting especially since um there's a lot you could probably pick apart maybe we'll talk more about that as we get closer to the actual match but I think that those two guys are trying to be as creative as they can be to add some juice and add some life to their upcoming match, which is sort of in this weird nebulous 
Is it for the title shot? Is it not? I don't know. But Naito's coming out with a makeshift piece of paper. And I don't know what it says, but it sounds like it's probably like his offer for a title shot, but it's not really official. And it's sort of like a slap in the face to Jeff Cobb. And Cobb is like kind of amused, but not really. And he's ripping it up and they're, they're having a go. And I like it. And I think that that aspect has been pretty entertaining and also intriguing. Yeah, Cobb's gotten a lot of steam so far in, in this feud. He's uh, kind of been left left Naito laying pretty much every night and mm-hmm. um, kind of getting the better of Naito when traditionally in the past, he's Naito's kind of had his number. And so being able to beat him in the G1 and now right now he's kind of has the upper hand over him. Uh, he's been looking really good. And yeah, the whole contract thing has been a funny little twist and wrinkle to it because yeah, there's, there's no more briefcase and there's technically not a quote-unquote contract, but one would assume that if Cobb were to beat Naito, you would have to, you know, either put him in the main event or give him a title shot before Wrestle Kingdom. And this just continues to go back to that long-standing dilemma about the end of the G1 being in August, but the beginning of Wrestle Kingdom in January, and how do you fill the time between that when you have this title challenger that needs to keep busy but and have stakes, but how do you do that? And when you had the title briefcase there was always that conundrum of like, all right, well, if they defend it successfully every year, that gets boring. But then the one year where they did the title upset, it just created a super convoluted situation. People weren't happy with it. Now the briefcase is gone and that's fine. But what do you do? Right. (laughs) And it it wasn't the most, I mean, they had the big match last year with Okada and Jonah and they're kind of following a similar pattern with Jeff Cobb and Naito but they're going to have to figure something out sometime in the future because it is a, it is kind of a, an issue from a booking perspective. Yeah. I've got a question here from Hawaiian Punch BB. What do you think about Callum Newman's potential for the future? Do you think he should watch tape of Dragon Gate's Masato Yoshina in order to fully utilize his speed? I don't know. Um, possibly. I mean, I don't know. He's He's got a pretty big frame, you know, Um I think they're going to treat him like a junior for the time being. I don't know how long that will last. He is doing some high-flying moves, and he is working very fast and u- utilizing his speed. So I wouldn't be surprised if he makes a berth into the uh, best of the super juniors here in the near future. But, I mean, he's got a lot of height on him, and I could see him following a somewhat similar path to like Will Ospreay, where Will started as a junior and then graduated up to the heavyweight division. Provided he sticks around in New Japan, I mean, anything is possible, but if he's going to be around, that seems like a likely path because he's not exactly a short guy. Yeah, he's tall. He has a very big frame. Kind of, He's built very similar to, to Will Ospreay when he first came into New Japan. So I can see if this guy, you know, hits gym, puts on a lot of muscle and fills that frame out, like he can easily be a heavyweight. I think he's a lot bigger than Will was when Will got to New Japan, to be honest with you. Yeah, Will was a lot skinnier. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, so, yeah, if he needs to put muscle on, yeah, he, he can follow that kind of Will trajectory where, yeah, you start as a junior, kind of have a couple great years here, and then you transition to heavyweight. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so far, obviously, we've only seen a little bit of him, but what we've seen so far, I, I like him. I think he's a great addition to United Empire. I think he could be a fun addition to the junior division. Him and Hiromu had some great sequences together, so... Yeah, I love this one. More of one other thing that's very telling: the crowds into him. Oh and yeah, that's not that's not easy to uh, achieve 
first time in Cork and Hall with very, you know, no tape footage, nothing kind of preceding you, not a huge reputation. And he comes in and boom, he's over like Rover. Right. And, you know, we, we've seen guys like Cody come over and not always, you know, connect or, or get, you know, the new Japan fans behind him right away. And so whenever a foreigner comes over and can connect with the audience right away, it's definitely a big deal. So uh, next up, we had the NJPW World Television title match. So originally, this was supposed to be Zack Sabre Jr. defending against Bolton Oleg. Um, but it was announced at the top of the show that uh, Bolton Oleg had an infection in his wrist um, that would prevent him from competing in this match. And so uh, by his request, he wanted uh, Rehe Oiwa to take his spot and challenge for the title. So that's what we got here, Zack Sabre Jr., uh, defending and defeating Rihei Oiwa, who was accompanied by Kaito Kiyomiya, because Oiwa is um, doing his excursion over in Pro Wrestling Noah on loan to them, and he's under the wing of Kaito Kiyomiya, so he was out here uh, seconding uh, Oiwa for this title match. Yeah, um, he came in with the new look, um, new haircut, new gear. The crowd was very, very into Oiwa and excited to see him return in this position. Um, disappointing that we didn't get to see Oleg Bolton and what that might have been. It's kind of one of those big questions, what would have happened, but um, this match was fine. It wasn't, you know, necessarily anything super special. I thought Oiwa showed a lot of fire in the early part of the match, but for the most part, I would say like the last two thirds was Zach sort of just eating him up and taking control. And yeah, you know, Oiwa had a few hope spots, but for the most part, like he just kind of got rolled into a pretzel and <laughs> tapped out, <laughs> and he didn't really have a shot here, honestly. Yeah, um, I didn't think it was cool, you know, coming back with the new look, and yeah, crowd was really into him, like you mentioned. He showed a lot of fire, but yeah, towards the end, it was yeah, the Zach Saber Joe and show, and Zach was just yeah tying his man up with a pretzel, rolling him around, and uh, eventually getting a submission victory over him. There is a nice little story time because Fujita is sort of the contemporary of Oiwa where they both made their debuts at the same time. They've gone on their, you know, respective excursions at a similar time. And obviously Fujita is under the umbrella of TMDK and was kind of, you know, elevated faster than Oiwa was. And now Oiwa has just left, just gone off to, um, to Noah for his excursion and now he's suddenly back and he's facing the guy that's the master of Fujita. So kind of a nice little fortuitous wrinkle. Um, you know, one thing I do think is again, and I'm, I'm jumping back into old shit, but they've got him under the tutelage of um, Kato Kiyomiya. Right. Mm -hmm. And that would be a great thing if Kato Kiyomiya had been booked strongly <laughs> in the G1 climax. Had he, and, had he and, won his block or been one of the uh, A1 or A2. Yeah, and I mean, anyone that's listening knows that he's a star in his home company and that, you know, he's he's been the ace and an ace figure for that company. So from that perspective, yeah, it is a great thing to have him under his tutelage. But, you know, in kayfabe, if you really think about it from a New Japan perspective, they didn't book him like an ace they didn't book him like a star and now they're sending off someone that's supposed to be a perspective per you know perhaps major star for new japan pro wrestling under under the guidance of a guy that they just 
you know, kind of jobbed out uh, of the company, it, I don't think it's, it makes a lot of kayfabe sense. Another reason why they should have booked him a lot better and a lot stronger because it would have, it would just benefit everything across the board. And uh, again, another point in case of, of my argument for that. Yeah. It, it does kind of make it look weird. Like, all right, you're sending this guy over to be you know, the protege of Kiyomiya, which yes, he's the, the ace of Noah, but you didn't treat him like an ace. You didn't treat him like a top star. So like, why would you send like why would Oiwa want to why would he want to right <laughs> why would he want to go and be with this guy you know he, he didn't do so hot in the g1 climax like what's the point <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah so <sighs> zach racks up another defense here had some questions a hawaiian punch vv says do you think kiyomiya and Oiwa will compete in world tag league since noah doesn't care that kiyomiya wasn't a g1 over the n1 this year I don't know. I mean, you never know. Anything's possible, but you know, I, I hadn't thought of it. Yeah. I mean, I think they're trying to keep Oiwa away to do like an actual excursion. Uh, this was kind of a last minute thing because, uh, Bolton Oleg was, uh, had to pull out. So I don't think they'll, they'll bring him back for world tag league. I think they, they wanted to have an actual excursion just in Noah and kind of keep him away for a while. Uh, DJ underscore Aftershock says, am I the only person who preferred ZSJ's Suzuki Goon theme to Young Punk's? I like them both. Yeah, I think the Young Punk's theme fits the TMDK vibe and the Zack Sabre Jr. that we have now. I think he's a little bit more kind of leading into that more kind of, you know, funny uh, kind of witty side than he did in the Suzuki Goon days. So, I don't know. Uh, I dig it. Uh, I also think what that was his 13th title defense. Yeah. So that puts him as the most defenses of any champion in new Japan in like modern times. Um, uh, you, you pretty much have to go back before the IWGP period to like when the NWA and the WWF titles and stuff of that ilk was in the, you know, being defended in the company, like the, uh, the NWF title, stuff like that. Um, that's where you start getting into like the 20 and 30 title defense count. But at the same time, those titles in kayfabe aren't necessarily considered as important as what IWGP represents in the, in the kayfabe of the company. So, um, but at the same time too, Zach is holding the new Japan world television title it's not even necessarily an iwgp title but it's in that same era and yeah 13 title defenses makes him one of the most successful champions in modern times for this company yeah and he has the goal he wants to get to 20 defenses uh by the end of the year which would lead him to uh challenge kojima for the following night and so now he's on the road to 20 um so we'll see how many more challenges he can uh, squeeze in yeah, he's racking them up. Meanwhile, Hiromu's got this lofty 12 tile defense, you know, aspiration. I don't think he's anywhere close to getting there. <laughs> what is he? Is he like V5, V6? I don't know. <laughs> he's going to have to hold the title for like, he's going to have to do a Roman Reigns title reign, like three-year <laughs> title reign to to hit the number. I don't know. Uh, and then- Instead, he's he's fighting for cheesesteaks on top of ladders <laughs> and shit. <laughs> Yeah, why was it? That was two, why two shows you could have done junior title matches. 
bro, he's off fighting on like Glate and DDT and Dragon Gate and shit. And he's like, and he's not defending the belt. He's just murking fools. And it's like, you could be defending the title. You're going to win the matches anyways. All right. Like, what are they, what are they afraid of that? They're going to shoot on the guy, like <laughs> steal the belt, <laughs> steal the gimmick. <laughs> Oh, man. I don't know. Maybe they are saving all the defenders for New Japan shows. I don't know. I feel like you could create How's some How's he going to get to V12? What are we doing? Well, maybe he's not. Maybe he's... That's going out the window, bro. Yeah, he's, he's just going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, the main event, House of Torture, Evil, and Show defeating Sonata and Taichi, 17 minutes and 6 seconds. Um. Again, I, I, I pretty much just would reiterate what I said earlier that like I don't think these matches are great or go out of your way and must see um but the crowds have been very much into them um one of the booking decisions and character arcs that I just don't quite understand so evil and show stole the titles from Sonata and um Tai Chi they stole the IWGP world title from Sonata and the kopw title from tai chi and every night they're coming out with these belts and taunting them and yada yada and at no point (laughs) have tai chi or sonata really made any concerted efforts to try and regain the title they're kind of acting like they're basically unbothered that they are holding the physical belts which i guess in a certain sense does speak to a quiet confidence because they're like, well, I'm still the champion that the belt doesn't make me the champion. You know, the belt is just a trinket, but (laughs) just a toy. (laughs) Yeah. A toy uh, as Hulk Hogan would say, but um, you know, it's wrestling logic and in wrestling logic, you're being disrespected because they got your belt. Why aren't you trying to get the belt back from the thief? So how is, what's the point of them stealing it? If you're not trying to get it back and instead Sonata's walking out with a new shirt that says, you know, I am the the IWGP world champion and it's got the belt on the shirt. And I'm like, I don't think that shirt's going to sell. Like, I don't think it's going to do numbers the way like the John Cena, the champ is here shirt (laughs) did back in the day. (laughs) There just doesn't seem to be a a lot of, and the other booking thing that I don't understand is like evil is fucking murking Sonata every single night, which for those that don't want evil to be champion, that's a great sign because they're trying to make him look really, really strong heading into their title match. But Sonata looks like a bitch, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he's not trying to get his belt back. He's not winning any of the matches. And he's not showing any fire. And it feels like we're, you know, it, it feels like everything that they did back in the first quarter of the year, that shit's gone, dude. Yeah, he does seem like he's kind of sleepwalking. Through this rivalry right now, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of going through the paces, and yeah, this is probably the maybe one of the least interesting things about this tour so far. And like, I'm not really into the whole Sonata Evil thing. I know some probably some Lij fans love the whole you know Sonata Evil lore and then their friendship and them fighting, but I don't know. This has just kind of been meh for me. Yeah, but some of that stuff is like headcanon because you sort of have to look back into history and recall all that because that's not what really what this feud is necessarily about you know it's it's pretty cut and dry it's like evil's a bad guy stole your belt and every night he's cutting these promos being like dude no one thinks you're the champion at 
all like you're a bitch. I got your belt. <laughs> Run it. Yeah. And Sonata's not saying shit. He's not doing a damn thing about it. And I, like on the other hand, I think Tai Chi, Tai Chi's not Tai Chi's showing fire in the matches, you know, and he's been one of the positives of, of the whole thing. Um, I do think it's interesting that there there's an aspect where show is now right now the way he's in a portion of his career where tai chi was like a decade ago mm-hmm. tai chi used to wrestle a lot like the way show does where you're like i think that he's capable of so much more but he just fucking sucks and i hate watching him wrestle that's how tai chi used to be and now he's kind of you know he's grown out of that and he's the ass kicker that everyone likes today but he wasn't a decade ago and now show has reverted into what tai chi was and so there's kind of like a uh, an interesting dynamic there but um the, again the one positive thing i will I, I don't think that this is a main event caliber program i i don't think that i think the program's fine and like if this was the mid like middle card i wouldn't have so much of a problem with it but it's for the you know it's kind of circling around the most prestigious title in the company which doesn't sit right with me or feel right yeah uh, well, it's, but, just, it's not the hottest thing going right now. Like LIJ United Empire is like the hottest feud right now. Well, the one thing I was going to say that is positive, the crowds are reacting well. Mm-hmm. They they really are reacting really well to the matches and to all of the, you know, shenanigans for better or for worse. It might not be obviously like we're not going to relitigate it. I don't like House of Torture and Evil, but in this spot it, it is working. So, um that's a positive, but I, I don't know. I don't love this. Yeah, it's just kind of there. Uh, DJ Aftershock says, would it be beneficial for show if NJPW just pulled him from House of Torture via some kind of face turn? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he he's not a young junior anymore, and um, I, I don't know where we're going with show. Like, what do you think, Jeremy? I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, if he's gonna go back and if he could wrestle the way he wrestled before, he joined House of Torture. I mean, yeah, that would be great. Um, to face turn and get the old show back. But like you mentioned, it's it's been a while since he's been that show. Like, can he even still go like that? Um, is he just kind of loving this kind of role that he's in now? Just you know, cheating and you know, goofy faces and having these, you know, bad matches, maybe this is what he likes and the style will, you know, work for him. I don't know. So, uh, one last thing about this show before we move on, they did do a Terry, uh, funk tribute at the beginning of the show. It wasn't on the, um, original broadcast, but they did put it up on the NJPW world website, uh, as a separate content. It's like four minutes long. And I did watch that. It was pretty, uh, you know, uh, I thought a very classy move on their part to have done that. Yeah, and a lot of guys throughout this tour are wearing the uh, the Funk U uh, Terry Funk t-shirts. It's pretty cool to see. Yeah, you saw a lot of that um, on this show in particular. Yeah. So then that takes us to uh, night two, which was the next day, September 9th, also in Cork and Hall. Attendance of 1,457 this night. Uh, show opened up. We got Gucci and Yo defeating Doki and Taka Michinoku. Um, again, this kind of a 
standard tag match, two junior teams here. Seems like, again, junior tag league's around the corner, getting those guys ready for that. Uh, it was interesting that they didn't kind of mention Leo Rush um, being more of a heel and impact and hasn't really been talking to Yo. So I'm wondering uh, if they're going to break up the, the Leo tag team and Yo's going to be back with Taguchi. I don't know, maybe. Uh, next uh, next match, we had uh, Master Wato, Shota Umino, Tomioka Hanma, and Yuji Nagata defeating the strong style team of El Esperado, Minoru Suzuki, Renarita, and Yuto Nakashima, 12 minutes and 3 seconds. One interesting thing, Hanma was on the strong style side the night prior, and then he just switched sides. I don't know why he was allowed <laughs> to do that, but uh, yeah, he switched sides, and they won, so it worked out for him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so a fun matchup again. It's really building up the heat for the uh, best of seven with Strong Style and Team Nagata. Uh, and after that, we had uh, Hiroki Goto, Toriano, and Yoshihashi defeating Bad Dude Tito, Mikey Nichols, and Shane Hayes. So again, kind of building up for the tag team uh, championship match coming up. Uh, one quick thing, since we're on this uh, topic. Um, these shows were called uh, Solo in English by Chris Charlton, but in the second half of the shows, each member of TMDK uh, joined as a guest commentator. So we got um, Shane Haste on night one, and then Mad Mikey Nichols joined later on during this show on night two. Yeah, uh, Chris said that originally, I guess Bad Dude Tito was supposed to join him, but you know, he took the fall, and so they, had, they swapped him out with uh, Mad Mikey. All right, uh, the next matchup, we had the House of Torture team of Evil, Sho, and Yujiro Takahashi defeating the Just Five Guys team of Doki, Sonata, and Taichi. So originally, Kanamaru was in this match. Uh, we mentioned earlier, um, he was going after um, Yujiro and just went down. We've seen this before where a guy kind of just... He's walking, goes down. It's probably some kind of ACL, MCL, some kind of knee issue. So he went down. Um, they got him out of there, and it was kind of a three-on-two beatdown for a while. And then Doki came out, made the save, and even the odds and got it back to being a uh, six-man tag. Yeah, uh, pretty scary moment um, for Kanemaru. Uh, he went to slide in the ring. Um, they kind of had all all three members of just five guys uh, go to slide in from opposite sides of the ring at the same time. And for whatever reason, he just stood up and his leg wobbled and he clinched his knee, clinched his leg. And um, you could kind of see uh, um, it was Yujiro that was going to attack him and Yujiro didn't touch him. And he kind of gave a look to the referee. Like I didn't fucking, I didn't, <laughs> So it was like that Robinson thing. He's like, I didn't do fucking shit. <laughs> I didn't do this. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't my fault. <laughs> but um, it, it was very unfortunate. And they, the guys stalled for time. Um, you know, they had the doctors and the, the referees look over him and everything like that. And in the meantime, um, evil got on the mic and cut a promo and then, out of nowhere, um, they had Doki run down and let let them know that he was filling the spot, which was kind of surprising because like he was in the first match of the night, and later on it's like the fourth or fifth match of the night, and he's ready to go and he's in his gear and everything. And it's like you would have thought this dude probably would have like showered or 
you know, who knows? Like, what if he hadn't been available? What would they have done? Right. What if but, he had um, this left? Like, <laughs> right. Anything was possible. So uh, I think they were pretty lucky that they were able to have him in the spot. And it was a short match, eight minutes and some change, but they worked it like if you didn't know that that Kenamura was really hurt, this could have possibly been like an angle because they worked it so well. You wouldn't have been, even been able to tell that this wasn't like a pre planned thing or that the story wasn't centered around making Doki look incredible because the match basically at that point kind of became about Doki and down the tail end, it, it, like him and evil in oh, the ring, bro, the, cr- the crowd was so hyped for Doki. Like, and he, they had so many great exchanges and like great near falls and the crowd was, they were all in on Doki. Yeah. He had him in the, the Italian stretch, uh, 32 at one point people wanted evil to tap out. Like, yeah, all these like near falls, near submissions, and yeah, great sequences. Yeah, the crowd wanted him to be evil so bad, but it was not the case. He got hit with uh, everything is evil, and um, half the torture gets the win here. Continues their winning ways over just five guys. Uh, we had a question from Rambone Slam Pig. Any word on the nature or severity of Kanemaru's injury? Whenever I see someone go down like that, I fear it's a ligament tear in the knee. Um, I'm looking right now. Was there uh, an official, you know, thing? I, I think New Japan did send something out. Did you read? Yeah. So on September 9th, they, they put out they said that uh, Kanemaru suffered injury to his left knee. It's not clear to compete, uh, but they didn't go. They didn't say if it was a torn ACL, MCL, or what exactly. They said it was a left knee injury. I was afraid that it was like a. The, the Royal Rumble 2005 thing with Vince where he blew out his, uh, what was it, his hamstring? Yeah. Yeah, so I thought, at first I thought it could have been that. Like, you know, who knows, but. Yeah, or like I, uh, Kevin Nash when he was going to that one tag match where he got tagged in and he walked in the ring yeah. and just everything blew up in his leg. You just never know, man. Um, the human body's strange, but yeah, uh, all the best wishes to him. And uh, that takes us to the next match. Yeah, NJPW World Television title match. Zack Sabre Jr. defeats Satoshi Kojima, 12 minutes and 7 seconds. And like we mentioned, this was set up um, in the post-match from the previous show. Zack talking about how he wants to get to 20 defenses. He wanted another defense. And, uh, you know, Kojima had just, like, come out the bathroom. And he saw Kojima and challenged Kojima uh, for the next night, and Zach was originally supposed to be in the the TMDK match, supposed to be an eight man tag, but it changed the card up and gave Zach this um, second defense here against Kojima, and this was a really fun matchup. Yeah, I thought this match was um, a few levels above the match that we saw the night prior. Um, really well worked. Kojima's just still so great. Like, you know, maybe he can't go at a main like main event level like that anymore, but he can still really work his ass off. And they they had a they told a great story. It was really really fun uh, for the time that it went. And um, the only thing about this that you really could criticize is the the entire idea of the njpw world television title is supposed to be for the youngsters it's supposed <laughs> to be for the young guys you know to kind of get them over and get them exposure and it's like yeah and his 13th title defense he's fighting satoshi kojima but uh <laughs> i know that you were uh you know hoping for the surprise upset yeah and i'll flip flip the belt 
<laughs> Stop the quest of 20 Let, Let's strap up Kojima He, he can, you know, have some 15 minute matches <laughs> uh, But yeah, really fun match um, A lot of big impact towards the end there Zach hitting the Zach driver He couldn't capitalize uh, Kojima uh, hitting a, a big uh, Koji cutter He couldn't capitalize and Hit a Western but, Lariat too Yeah, Western Lariat and But then eventually, of course, Zach uh, wraps him up Taps him out Really good matchup. Arm bar. <laughs> uh, we had a question here from uh, NJS PR. What grade would you give Zack Sabre Jr.'s TV title run? Um, I would probably give it like a B plus. Um, I couldn't, I don't think I could go A, you know, and this is going to sound a little bit, uh, I don't know. People people are probably not going to like this, what I'm about to say. And it, it, maybe it's just my opinion. Um, in, ter- like, in terms of like a mid-card title reign, then I would go like A+, right? Mm-hmm. And I think something that's comparable is what we just recently saw over in AEW with Orange Cassidy. For like, for like around a year, he held that All-Atlantic slash international title. And for what it was, like people really loved it. Like a week in, week out on television title, he had an incredible title reign. And like Zach is doing something very similar over in Japan with this 15 minute time limit title, defending it both here and over in the States and um, having very, very good matches. But neither man ever really had any real classics for those titles and people tend to like kind of forget that you know what i mean yeah like they they're giving they're throwing the flowers at the title rings for the consistency and the length and the amount of defenses and the investment from people and those are all really great things and and goes to show you like what you can do with like a a a strong mid-card title reign but neither neither guy really if you're being honest with yourself neither guy had any real match of the year like level contender type matches for their belts hardly ever i mean like four stars is probably where you're topping out for both guys at the top end for their best title defenses and um it's hard for me to like th- throw out an a and be like this was the greatest title reign ever when it's just like and it, Again, that's part of the nature of like a mid-card title. They're not designed to have the same level of quality matches like say the world title does. Or right. in or in theory the world title should. Right. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I would go like a B plus. Um obviously Zach's a great wrestler. It's been a, like you mentioned a ton of defenses, but yeah, when you look back at the defenses, it's not it's not like they were like Four and a half, you know, these match of the year type contenders. I mean, they're all a lot probably were around four stars, you know, three and a half stars. Very, very solid matchups. Um, but it's not, it's not this rain where, yeah, he went out there every match and it's like, oh my gosh, like it's incredible, you know. The, the best thing, the best match, and I can't recall all the title defenses that he had. And I know some of them were like an ROH and stuff like that, but like, Maybe like I don't know the Jeff Cobb title. I know he had two matches with Jeff Cobb for that title that were both really good, and maybe that and that's the first thing that comes to my mind that sticks out as a top end title defense. And 
those probably were both close to four stars. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, he had the Ishii uh, defense um, in the Sapporo. Um, that was a great match. Um, let's just see here. Yeah, the cop stuff, and then everything else. There's a lot of ROH, you know, Christopher Daniels, Action Andretti. Uh, I think he defended against like Metal League. Yeah, Blake Christian. Blake Christian. Yeah, but a lot of those ROH TV tile offenses we talked about before when we review excursion matches, like the crowd's not really super into them and there's not a ton of heat behind them. Um, so, yeah, so overall, I mean, it's been a long reign. It's, it's established a title, but it's not like it's been, it's not a legendary title reign. I mean, it is in a certain respect. I mean, I would compare it. I think it's very comparable to like what Tom Lawler did with the strong open weight title very recently. Um, but I might argue that Tom, while he had less successful title defenses, he might have had a higher level of consistent quality of title defense match over what Zach has been doing. At the same time, it's also limiting that you're having 15 minute time limit title matches, and maybe that's also part of it. You know, right? Uh, yeah. I can't. And again, B plus is really good. I can't. I don't think we can uh, take too much away from Zach. He's do it. He's having a really great title reign, but I have heard like discourse from people that are like, he's in my wrestler of the year uh, discussion. And I mean, like, I'm sure he'll get in our words a nomination, but like, I don't right now seriously consider him as uh, like a top candidate for that. Not when like Okada and like Osprey are in the same company doing what they've done this year. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot of, I mean, those, Okada and Osprey are probably going to be the you know, top two finishing in that. Um, there's a ton of guys that could slide into that third place spot. It's, it's not like a dead giveaway for being Zach. I think Hiromu is pretty close, honestly. But yeah, I mean, Hiromu, yeah, he's had a great year as well. Um, there's a lot of guys that could end up sliding into that spot. Mm-hmm. So uh, moving on to the next match, we had the never open weight six-man tag team title match. The champions, Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, and Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated Hiroshi Tenzan, Tiger Mask, and Togi Makabe, 17 minutes and 46 seconds. Um, the, the pre-show package that we alluded to earlier in the show that they did here, which, you know, New Japan, they, they, don't, they do a lot of really great video packages, but those are usually reserved for your major shows. They don't do a lot of those on Corkins. Um, or like road to style shows and they did one here and it kind of showed like the history of not only Tenzon, although it mostly focused on Tenzon, but it also focused on his partners, Tiger Mask and uh, um, who else was, on? oh, and uh, Toby Makabe and like that, their accolades and what they've achieved. And even though there wasn't a translation, I'm sure there's probably a translated version out there. I just, I didn't watch it they did a great job getting across the idea that like, you know, for Tenzon, this seemed like the biggest thing in the world, maybe like a last grasp at greatness. And uh, I thought it was awesome. And then the match itself, 17 minutes might've been a little too long. Honestly, I don't know if this match needed that much time to get across the idea of what they were trying to accomplish. And I would say for the first three quarters of the match, the work was good but not great, not anything that was like earth shattering. 
but the final quarter of the match is so damn good. Yeah, it really heats up. Like the beginning part of the match, um, Okada, Ishii, and Tanahashi are pretty much walking the dog with the New Japan yeah. dad team, and they're full of control. And then Tiger Mask hits that big super arm drag off the top to Okada. Mm-hmm. And from there, the team got some life, and they are coming back. Uh, Makabe's in there doing some big stuff, and they had the one sequence. They got down to where it was uh, three against one on, on Ishii. And they're mm-hmm. they're hitting all their finishers on Ishii. Uh, uh, Tiger Mask is the Tiger Driver. Uh, Makabe hits the King Kong knee drop. And then Tenzan uh, falls up. Uh, he had a, I think he had a Tenzan two. He hit a headbutt. Yeah, headbutt. Yeah, and the crowd's going wild because like that's like three. That that, that would have been it, except Tanahashi jumped in and made the save. But that was gonna be three. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the crowd. Which like you know what they could have flipped the titles here. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Ishii didn't have the the most stellar G one in terms of kayfabe, anyways. And if you wanted to like get the belts off of you know um, this dream team, that's a way you could have done it, you know, and it would have been shocking. But they didn't. But it was a really great near fall. Yeah, especially since we're go- you know going into dome season, you got to think Okada and Tanahashi are going to be in singles matches. Normally, they do something with the six man belt, so you might want to get them off. So yeah. That could they could have done that. So yeah, that was a very believable near fall. The crowd was really into that. Um, so yeah, the end was just yeah, Tenzon and Ishii and Tenzon's trying to you know put Ishii away, but he just can't. Ishii ends up hitting him with the the brainbuster to get the win. Bro, the uh, the D the super DDT that he oh. hit Ishii with was so stiff, like oh, it was so nasty. <laughs> there was some great stuff, and I mean, there's some uh, there's some really classic Ishii and. Um, Tenzon matches, especially like there's one in particular. I don't remember. It's from Tenzon's last G1. And uh, yeah, there's a match between the two of them that just fucking rocks. Ugh. They, and it's got a lot of stiff headbutts. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So yeah, this yeah, this closing stretch, the last half of the match was really great. Lots of fun, lots of fire here. Um, and, and the crowd wanted Tenzon to win and they were booing. I mean, there was a point uh, Tenzon went up top to hit a, a moonsault and like chris was so great on the call chris it's like you, you can't do it your body's not going like you know right. and okada comes and pulls him down and then hits him with the german suplex and the crowd was like boom yeah, <laughs> yeah cause they, like it, okada just it, saved him from himself yeah he just saved him from himself and it was like he tried to murder him with the german suplex like he's Carl gotch what are you talking about but no the, the match was it was it was really good yeah, and then that brings us to the main event. We had the elimination ten man tag team match with the United Empire team of Cal Newman, Great Ocon, Hanari, Jeff Cobb, and Will Osprey during the tour. They defeated the Lij team of Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, Tetsuya Naito, and Yotosuji. Twenty seven minutes and forty four seconds. I thought this was one of the better elimination tags they've done in a while. And one of the best reasons why is, you know, Bushi only got like a minute ring time and then he was just out. That's great. <laughs> yeah, he was kind of absent for a, a huge chunk of the match. <laughs> Bro, he only had like a minute ring time and then he got eliminated. It was awesome. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, the eliminations, uh, Shingo eliminated Callum Newman, uh, then Gray Ocon. Uh, he got eliminated. He eliminated. He eliminated himself. Mm-hmm. While he was eliminating Shingo, he did the uh, 
the dominator and jumped off of the the apron. So he eliminated himself, but he also got rid of Shingo. Right, yeah. And then uh Bushi, he gets a upset elimination here. He eliminates Hanare. Uh then Will Ospreay comes in, hits that hidden blade, takes Bushi's head off, uh, pins him. Then uh Suji, he eliminates himself and Will Ospreay uh with that curb stomp off the apron. Their entire sequence on the apron was really fantastic. And you know, I think they're they're gonna have a great match. But Will, it's funny because normally it's the young guy that works too fast for the veteran. And you would sort of expect Suji to be like, do, 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 do. And like, you know, Will being like, slow down, kid. But <laughs> it's not like that. You know, Suji is is very agile, but he's still a big boy. And he's like a half step slower still than Will. And Will is like, bah, 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 you know, bang, 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 bang. And just like. It's it's really interesting because they're gonna have a great match and they're working really well together. But like Will is still a, a smidge, you know, tonally faster than him. Yeah, yeah, they had a really great their, their whole sequence at the beginning and all throughout this match when they were in there together was just so great. And I've never seen anyone get curb stomped off the apron to the floor. That that looked awesome. Yeah, so, that was vicious. Yeah, um, and and then basically it came down to Cobb. And Hiromu and Naito were still alive at the end, so Cobb was the last remaining United Empire member. Yeah, so it was one on two, and um, you know Naito and Hiromu, they're hitting all their kind of double team combos on Jeff Cobb, trying to keep him down. Uh, but then Cobb eventually gets Hiromu and power bombs him over the top onto the Lij guys out there. So it comes down to Cobb and Naito. Ultimately, Naito was trying to get rid of Cobb on the apron. Cobb worked his way back in and was able to dump Naito onto the apron. And then he hit like a rebounding drop kick to eliminate Tetsuya Naito. And he won the match for the United Empire. Yeah, that was a huge drop kick. He got up there. He got super air on that drop kick. Yeah. And, you know, on the one hand, I do want to say, like, I noticed Cobb is bigger than normal right now. He's got like, he's a little, little bigger than he normally is. Like, you know. <laughs> Which he's he's never a small guy, but it looks like he's packing it on a little bit. But he's still doing everything that he always is able to do, and it's not slowing him down at all. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to criticize him in any way. But I, I did notice. Also, he's got the green streak in his hair now. Yeah, well, he had that uh, during G one, bro. I didn't notice him have a green streak. In <laughs> I watched every single one of his matches, and I never. Are you sure? Yeah, because Kevin Kelly kept plugging his hairdresser. On the commentary. I don't, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> well, the, the post-match, he cuts a promo, um, and I thought he cut a really good, fiery promo. Yeah, this and is then, probably his best post-match promo. Yeah, and then they went backstage, and then all of United Empire are cutting promo together. Sort of like, it was like Four Horsemen style. It reminded me of like 1990s WWF. I love that, bro. <laughs> I love that shit so much. And um, I thought that Jeff Cobb did a great job basically painting the picture that he's like, yo, I'm going to fuck up the entire Wrestle Kingdom main event. I'm going <laughs> to beat this guy. And he's one of your poster boys. And you've got him on the front of the poster. And, you know, you, you're disrespecting United Empire. You're not putting us on the poster. He's like, I'm going to beat his ass. And then and then you guys are going to look real stupid <laughs> for not having us on the poster. Um, and I thought that was great. Yeah, the whole post-match promo was great. And yeah, in, in the in-ring part, he... Uh... You know, he copied the LIJ roll call, 
Um, you know, you know, Sotros United M Pi, yeah. <laughs> uh, did the whole you know roll call. So yeah, that was that was pretty uh pretty funny. And again, yeah, ripped the contract up. And so yeah, they're really doing a great job heating up this rivalry. Um, so like we mentioned, there was updates on Kanemaru that said he suffered an injury and was. We did have a question. Oh yeah, I missed that. Uh, DJ Aftershock says if Osprey does end up staying with NJPW. Should he have another shot at the heavyweight title? Sure. If he does stay with them, then yes, he should. If. Yes. Big, big if. Big if. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, he should be the world champion right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't. I, I don't. Yeah. He should be. Uh. So yeah, Kamaru, yeah, he got the, the injury, so that he wasn't gonna be cleared for the next couple of shows. And then also uh Bolton Oleg still recovering from the infection in his left wrist and was not uh cleared to compete on the shows either. I liked how they did the gimmick at the start of the first night where they announced he wasn't gonna be on the show, and then they brought the and then they passed the mic over yeah. to the doctor. <laughs> Where the doctor was like, I can concur. The reason he wasn't able to come in, he, he got an infection in his in his. He like gave the full medical explanation. Like them them saying it, you know, with the official you know piece of paper in the ring wasn't enough to like appease the fans. Like we got to get the doctor involved. Yeah, that's pretty. They, they never do that. Usually, they like, do that. It was so funny. <laughs> so then that leads us to the last show that happened. Uh, Night three, the tour, uh, September tenth. This was a uh, Blue Justice Produce show, Blue Justice thirteen. You can pretty much just go through the results until the main event on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, show opened up. We had Tenzan, Jado, Tiger Mask, and Makabe defeating Oscar Lube, Satoshi Kojima, Tomiko Hanma, and Yuto Nakashima. Then we had the Bebop tag team Tanahashi and Toriano defeating Taguchi and Yo. All of TMDK, uh, Badu Tito, Nichols, Hayes, and ZSJ, they defeat Goto, Okada, Ishii, and Yoshihashi. Then we had Okan, Hanare, and Jeff Cobb defeating Bushi, Shingo, and Naito. Hiromo and Yosutsuji defeated Kyle Newman and Will Ospreay. Dick Togo, Evil Show, and Yujiro Takahashi defeated Doki, Sanada, Taichi, and Taka of Just Five Guys. And then the big main event here was the... Match number one in the best of seven series, and it went to a 30 minute time limit draw. Yeah, so, um, not on this show. This show was, uh, there was no English commentary for this produce show, it was, um, just Japanese commentary. But on the previous shows, um, Chris Charlton had kind of highlighted the fact that typically in New Japan, a lot of the time you're seeing, um, faction members from opposing uh groups fight one another whereas with this feud that's ongoing i mean basically even though yes strong style is its own unit they're essentially hantai adjacent or considered part of the greater fold of hantai so you you have six guys who are all members of hantai going head to head which is kind of a rarity in new japan but there's still hate, there's still heat, there's still a lot of like uh backstory between all these guys. And you know, we we haven't dug real deep into this feud just yet on this show, but basically the backstory here is you got Nagata and um Suzuki who have had an on on again, off again 
blood-filled rivalry for the greater part of 10 years now and they've like headlined wrestle kingdoms and had tons and tons of very hate-filled matches and now they're in their like later years captaining these teams going one-on-one then you've got at the same time desperado on the side of strong style he's pretty much you know one of the top two uh juniors in the entire company and then you got wato under the tutelage of nagata and wato's sort of like his star is rising and desperado just fucking hates wato like they've made it very clear over the past year or two like that desperado just hates Wato. wato doesn't hate despy but despy hates wato <laughs> and he like he's like i don't fuck with him at all <laughs> and so you know that that's kind of um you know what's going on there and then with Shota Umino and Narita, Umino has sort of been like the golden boy of all of these young lions who, were, who have returned from excursion and graduated. And then you've got Narita who's sort of going through this more hard beaten path and they're completely diametrically opposed to one another. Like, you know, Shota Umino's flashy, Narita's not. Umino does a lot of high flying and, and you know, different tactics. Narita is in your face, kicking your ass. And they're both aiming for the same spot. So you've got all these kind of converging feuds and rivalries just kind of aligning at the right time. And now we're getting this best of seven series and it, and it all started here. But one thing I really liked about the match. Um, so this took place in Togain arena in a, I might say this wrong, but Segi Sakai um, which is the hometown of Yuji Nagata, and it again being a Blue Justice produce show. About twenty of the thirty minutes of the match, Nagata was the main guy involved, and so almost the entirety of the story uh, revolved around Yuji Nagata. And it kind of makes me feel like, even though everybody got action, we still got all the teases and and the heat from each one of their individual feuds. The match mainly revolved around Nagata. And it, I'm starting to think that with these six guys involved, there's a, a high likelihood that each match is going to be different from the match prior. And I bet you they're going to highlight either different feuds or different aspects or different characters throughout the series. Yeah, it's a great way to highlight guys throughout the, the tour. You know, one match you can kind of make Watto the guy of the match. You can make mm-hmm. Despy. Like each guy can kind of have the, the, the spotlight in the rest of the six matches here. Yeah, and I thought this was a really good start. Now, um, I I could almost kind of tell right away watching this that they were going to go the 30 minutes because the the first two nights where there were eight-man tags involving these guys, it was balls to the wall, just boom, 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 heat, heat, heat. And th- this match wasn't quite like that. Now, it got there, but it started very slow. And yeah. I was like, oh, I think they might be going to a time limit draw. <laughs> Um, but there was some great stuff in here. One thing I loved was when they brawled all over this, uh, this, uh, like gymnasium and, um, Minoru Suzuki pick like is bashing Nagata into the, uh, chairs and stuff. And then he picks up a piece of the railway and he just keeps running back and hitting him with it. Cause he's trying to get the count out victory in the first <laughs> night. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I love the, the slap sequence at the end with Nagata and Suzuki. They're just yeah. slapping the crap out of each other. And Suzuki's just throwing all these slaps, and Nagata will hit like one big one, and then Suzuki's still 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 there throwing slaps. They they had um dueling all three guys have a submission spot. So like earlier in the match, they had one where strong style 
all had their submissions on Team Nagata, and then later in the match, Team Nagata kind of gave one back to them, and they got they all had their submissions on them. But yeah, the, the majority of the match did kind of focus and center around Nagata and Suzuki, and they did go into that slap exchange that you're mentioning, and then um, Nagata wobbles Suzuki down the stretch, and there's an opening, and he hits the uh, T-bone suplex, and he's trying to go for the one, two, three, but it's uh, too little, too late. He, he got that opening just a, a, a smidge too late, and they the bell rings, and they've gone to a 30-minute draw. And it is going to be interesting to see how that plays into the best of seven series because the math is going to be – it almost makes it seem like they're going to need to do another draw maybe to make things work. I don't know. Yeah, or, I mean, they could each go three and three, and then you do like a sudden – death like over time like a like a best of seven but with an eighth match yeah that's possible but the the problem with that is the the seventh match is on the final night of the major show in october Mm. so i don't know how you do that yeah i am wondering i i didn't i didn't expect them watching the match i knew they're going to a best or to a 30 minute draw but prior to that i wasn't expecting them to do any 30 minute draws in the series. So um, it's kind of intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't think I've ever really seen a draw really play out in the best of seven series like this before. I feel like there might've been in one of those Benoit Booker T series, but I, I'm not sure. Yeah. But yeah, this is a really good main event. Good way to kick off the, the best of seven and looking forward to kind of see how it's going to play out. Nagata cuts a promo, sends everybody home. Kisses all the babies, take shakes hands with everybody, and uh, you know that pretty much wrapped that up. Um, this coming week, we do have one show: um, New Japan Road to Destruction, Night Seven, on September seventeenth, twenty twenty-three. This is coming from Fukuoka Island City Forum. Um, we have seven matches that evening: Hiromu Takahashi versus Yuto Nakashima's opening the show. Following that, Oleg Bolton and Oscar Luebe tagging against Great Bash Heel. Third match of the night, Taguchi, Kojima, and Tiger Mask take on the team of Yano and Yo of Chaos, along with Hiroshi Tanahashi. Fourth match of the night, uh, Goto, Okada, and Ishii and Yoshihashi of Chaos take on the TMDK team of Bad Tito, Mikey Nichols, Shane Haste, and ZSJ. Fifth match of the night, um, Bushi, Shingo, Naito, and Suji of LIJ take on the United Empire team of Cal Newman, Okan, Hanare, and Cobb. Your semi-main event. Six-man tag team best of seven series match number two as Team Nagata takes on strong style. And then your main event of the evening, Dick Togo, Evil, Show, and Ujiro of House of Torture take on the Just Five Guys team of Doki, Sonata, Taichi. And uh, they were slotted for Kanemaru, but he's not going to be on the show. So I'm assuming they're, they're probably going to have a replacement. They, there might be some shifting um, stuff on the show because they do have – uh, Oleg Bolton's still scheduled. And who knows if he'll be cleared by that time. They might have to change that. They might have to change this main event, but that's what we have scheduled as of now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they could change that main event to just a six-man tag. You, you pull out Dick Togo and... Um, yeah, you just pull Dick Togo out and then you do Doki, Sonata, and Taichi. Or I guess you, you could throw Taka in to replace. Yeah, I was thinking they could throw Taka. I don't think he's booked on the rest of the show, but yeah. maybe he's not available. I don't know. Yeah. But um, top to bottom, this show this show looks less stakesy 
than right. the first two night shows did. Right. This is more of your kind of paint by numbers, road to show, right? Bunch of multi mans with not a ton of stakes to it. I think that that's why we were a little bit uh, critical of that question earlier in the show because we've gotten we're used to getting this kind of road to show, and instead they gave us good road to shows that you can like sink your teeth into, and this is like oh, okay, same old, same old shit, you know. <laughs> Well, luckily, there's going to be a few nights that are not aired. They're they're jumping to night seven. Right. And this is just one night. So it's going to be a little, you know, it's a little brief reprieve, maybe a, a little, a, a little wet your palate sort of night. And then uh, we'll see if something, maybe something develops out of that. I don't know. Yeah. So this will be the quote unquote kind of go home show for destruction in Kobe. So that'll, hmm. be, that'll be the next big show uh, coming up after this uh, row two show. So. Well, let's jump into the news. Uh, a couple things. Um, we had an announcement this past week. Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. has been set for AEW's Wrestle Dream, the, uh, uh, as I like to call it, All Anoki Show. <laughs> All Anoki Wrestling. <laughs> All Anoki. <laughs> and we had a couple questions here. MJ Does PR says, Do you. Think Danielson puts ZSJ over at WrestleDream. I don't know, man. I mean, he he beat Okada. Um, I can he, he beat Okada. I don't think he's putting over. I don't think he's putting over ZSJ. Yeah, I, I think he's gonna win. Especially it's in um it's in Washington. In, it's in Seattle. Yeah, Brian's hometown. And it's AEW versus New Japan. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It, it, it's Brian Danielson, not Chris Jericho. Let's not get it twisted. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, Ram, and also that's kind of, kind of, you know, I don't know. It sounds like it's going to kind of suck because it's like ZSJ's the TV champion, but uh, never mind that. You know. <laughs> Rambo Slam Pig asked: ZSJ is set to face Brian Danielson to kick off what may be Brian's last year of a full-time in-ring career. If he is uh, going to get any other singles matches with with NJPW talent. Who would you want to see in that spot? I mean, there's so many guys. I mean, let's get Brian versus Osprey, Brian versus um, Shingo, Ishii. Ishii. Yeah, Shingo. Yeah, there's, there's a ton of great. I mean, also the the, the guy do the Okada rematch. I think Suji. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Uh, there's a lot of guys. Also, I don't really think he's actually gonna retire. Like he's saying that shit, but. Um, I saw this one interview where he said that um, Cody Rhodes taught him that it's so much fun to lie. Yeah, there's like a, a, a meme that always goes around with that that caption that Cody Rhodes taught me to lie. It's him smirking in, in the white shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. I saw I saw people online like trying to own me over this shit. They're like, "Oh, it's exploitative, huh?" <laughs> <laughs> Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. Too bad we can't enjoy it because there's a Cork and Hall show that day. I'm like, I think you guys are missing the point. Yeah, they definitely are. <laughs> also, I don't know, man. Like, I am glad we're getting this match, of course. Um, I don't know what that has to do with Antonio Inoki, but I'm glad we're getting the match. It's going to be great. Well, I mean, but, you got, you, got uh, you know, original L.A. Dojo Brian Danielson and right. Zach Saber, who says he's trying to be you know, the you know the modern Noki, the real strong style. Yeah, yeah. But are we not concerned that you know the fact that they've got ZSJ on this show and he's working all these ROH shows and he's been 
you know, doing all these dates for Tony Khan that he might just be going to AEW. Like, is nobody from the New Japan side like concerned about this? Because <laughs> I think there's a very real possibility that Zack Saber Jr. and Will Ospreay both jump to AEW, and then you know we're gonna be sitting over here like womp womp womp. <laughs> Yeah, so, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, Zack Sabre would eventually uh, end up in AEW. But I do know he loves Japan. and um, seeing, I think he lives there. Yeah. And seems- so, yeah, I don't know. Also, I mean, the power vacuum that would be created from Will, as well as Jay White, having recently left, that might be a, a good spot for him in the company. But, you know, there's probably a lot of factors involved. Who knows? But uh, I haven't heard anything. It's not like I, I know he's leaving, but... You know, it just makes me nervous. It's like, right? I mean, if you if you read the tea leaves and just kind of look at what's happening, it's yeah, like, and everyone's so happy, like we're yay, we're getting the two best technical wrestlers. I'm like, fuck, like, like <laughs> <no."> <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if he jumps all the best to him, but uh, you know, selfishly, I want him to stay. Yeah. <laughs> um, at AEW Grand Slam, it will be title versus title. It was announced, Eddie Kingston. The uh, NJPW Strong Champion will be facing Claudio Castagnoli, the ROH World Heavyweight Champion. Title, both titles are on the line. Yeah, big matchup there for Grand Slam in Eddie's hometown, New York. So that should be yeah, a fun matchup. We also just got tagged in breaking news that's related to this. So Eddie Kingston is going to be putting his NJPW Strong Openweight title on the line against Rocky Romero in a historic clash at Defy Wrestling on september 23rd from washington hall nice yeah so that's gonna be cool um another bit of news here kevin kelly has given an update on his njpw commentary status so we didn't really address it here on the show but there have been some uh speculations going around the last couple weeks uh you know in the people that are in the know <laughs> you've been hearing the rumblings online and um people were asking kevin whether he was going to be continuing to work for new Japan long-term or not on Twitter or X, whatever the fuck you want to call it. <laughs> and um, he did give an update on his status with NJPW. And uh, he basically responded on social media saying that at some point soon um, he'll be leaving the company. Um, he said that like, he'll be calling new Japan destructions event in Tokyo on Monday, October 9th and wrestle kingdom and new year's dash next January. But he kind of expects to potentially be done with the company at the start of the new year, he did cite, um, you know, basically uh, family obligations and his wife's desire for him to stop traveling as much as part of the reason why uh, he's kind of made this decision. I think probably with the new job that he secured with AEW, um, kind of securing his financial, you know, future is also a big reason why he's uh, probably decided to make this move. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Kevin's been traveling now for years and years and years, these long tours. So I definitely understand, um, you know, wanting to sell down, be, in the, be at home in the U.S. with your family. Uh, got a great, great gig on Saturday nights on Collision, so it doesn't have to leave the U.S. So I totally understand it. Yeah, it, it makes all the sense in the world. And, I mean, I'm not going to uh, – one thing we've never really done on this show is when people leave, we don't bury them for leaving at any point we've never done that because um you know these are human beings with real lives and and you know uh, they're not married to us or to <laughs> this product and they don't have to uh 
you know, I mean, the fact that Kevin stuck through the entirety of the pandemic and did everything that he did calling from his home and, and doing all of those, um, you know, remote distance calls for the show was, uh, you know, kind of above and beyond. And it, he's also a guy that's really made a huge impact in the culture of, of this fandom, you know, for a mm-hmm. lot of people. And it, I think some of the things that there are some fans that I've heard criticize Kevin for some of that stuff. And um, you know, those people can get fucked because <laughs> I mean, I don't know Kevin Kelly personally. We've never had him on the show, although we were supposed to multiple times. Maybe we should probably get on that. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if we want to make that a reality, because he's going to be gone soon. But uh, um, Kevin is definitely someone that loves the product. He loves the wrestlers. He loves the culture. He's someone that has cultivated something that is very, I, I think, sort of approachable for the, the audience at home for uh, – a product that's not necessarily marketed or made for Westerners. He sort of made it a, a lot more um, palatable and um, accessible to those from the outside. And he's done a lot of things for the Western fan base. Like he's somebody that has always been accessible online to chat and, you know, uh, talk about the the company, talk about the product. He's hyper knowledgeable guy that, that grew and uh, excelled a lot in the role and, you know, I even like remember when the whole like gift thing was going on with TV Asai, he, mm-hmm. he like made uh, attempts to rectify that situation and go to bat for the Western audience. Yeah. And, and uh, when Chris Charlton almost got pulled from commentary, you know, he put his neck out there for Chris and how much the fans enjoyed him and Chris together. Yeah. And I don't know the ins and outs of that situation, but I mean, look at where they're at now where, you know, Kevin is you know, very likely on his way out and they're kind of relying almost entirely on Chris and where would they have been if he hadn't had been able to stick around? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's the main reason Chris is as good as Chris is because Chris wasn't, Chris is hyper knowledgeable. He's a great guy and he's always done a, a fantastic job, but he wasn't a great uh, commentator when he first started. He was sort of like a, a talking voice who had a lot of, uh, historical knowledge, but wasn't a great broadcaster. And he's really grown into like a, a very serviceable and competent broadcaster, as well as like a knowledgeable voice uh, due to, you know, the mentorship from Kevin Kelly. Um, Kevin's just, he's done a, a fucking lot for, for this uh, audience and stuff. And, you know, if, if he's getting a, a lot of money from Tony Khan to go over there and, and work on, you know, Saturday nights, all, all the more power to him. I'm, it is sad because it's going to be a cultural shift, whoever it is that they get to replace him. And um, I've, I've heard some rumors. I don't know. Um, I think there's some names that people are sort of expecting. We'll see. But um, whoever it is, they're not going to be Kevin. And that's not to say that they won't be as good as Kevin, but like they're not going to have that special audience connection um, and sort of like space in the community that Kevin currently has. So um, it is sad. Yeah. It's definitely going to be kind of a new era. I know we we really have a lot of new wrestlers coming in, but I think that really will kind of shift like the landscape of like the English viewing product to have a a new voice in there. That's not Kevin Kelly, even if it is somebody, you know, like an Ian or Kabani who's done some new Japan stuff and he's great, but yeah, it's going to take 
some time for somebody new to you know build that rapport and establish that relationship with the New Japan audience. And that new person might not want to stand up for the fans like Kevin did and tweet out and go to the office for things. So we'll, we'll talk about it. There's a name that's out there. It's not my place to say it on the show um, because we're not, you know, we don't do that shit. We don't break news, but um, there is a name that's kind of out there that people are throwing around and it's not one that anybody would normally typically expect. So the only thing I would say is like, don't expect like a Ian Riccoboni or like a known uh, name that people are comfortable with or familiar with it. I don't think it's going to be something like that. I think it is going to be a, um, a new direction essentially, mm. but um, yeah, it's sad. And uh, I'm, I'm glad for the guy and um, it'll be interesting to see what comes of it. Um, one thing I did want to point out before we move off that subject. So I've heard a lot of criticism though, about Kevin, um, and his commentary on, uh, AW collision. And I, you know, I'm not really a, I'm not a collider, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I did listen to him during the pay-per-view and I noticed that it was not flowing the way I'm used to hearing Kevin's commentary flow. And I think I've got a little bit of a of a theory as to what's going on there. Um, I think that Kevin, when he's calling the product in Japan with Chris, they have a conversational tone where one of them speaks and then the other one plays. It's very much like improv, like yes. And, and they're always acknowledging what the other person said and talking back and forth while still calling the action. And I noticed in AEW, and I, I don't think it's always been this way, but it's just something I noticed. They're not talking to each other. They're talking in sound bites. So like Kevin will say something and I'm, I'm expecting someone to respond to what he just said. Mm-hmm. And then Nigel McGuinness says something else and it's completely not connected to what Kevin said. And then, you know, and then the next guy, whoever it is that's at the desk, JR says something and they're all talking and they're filling the space, but they're not talking at or to each other. They're just talking in general generalities. And it's a completely different um, type of commentary that I'm used to hearing from Kevin. And I think that that might be part of the reason why um, some fans aren't, um, you know, jiving necessarily with his, uh, his commentary right now. Yeah. I've noticed. Yeah. It's, he definitely sounds a little bit different than, a new Japan broadcast. And also he's not really the, the lead all the time when he's doing AW. And so like you mentioned too, that's a, a lot. just kind of different with the, you know, commentating for a TV product that has commercial breaks and more promos versus a straight up new Japan show, no commercials, not and to- and whoever is doing the production speaking in your ear the entire time you're doing the commentary. Cause that's something that happens very, I don't know how much in AEW that happens, but I have to imagine to some extent it does. Cause it's pretty much a staple of Western um, televised, televised like uh, professional wrestling. Whereas like, I don't, I don't know this, but I don't think him and Chris ever have anyone in their ear that to well, the best of my knowledge, we always hear Kevin say like, they don't, they don't tell him anything from the Japan right. side. Like they don't tell him when the match graphic is coming up. They don't tell him like, anything that's happening. So he's pretty much been like producing himself. And so it's a big difference to like kind of running your own thing. And then all of a sudden now somebody's in your ear saying, Oh, slow down or say this, do this. 
But it is funny that there's those fans out there that want to criticize him right now as if this isn't a guy that just won the best commentator in the world for like three out of the last five years. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. I've seen a, a ton of uh, criticism on his commentary lately. Th- well, you know, part of it, I think part of it is because, uh, you know, like some of his political leanings, which I, I honestly think a lot of that stuff's really, really overblown, to be honest with you. But then again, you know me, I, I, I'm pretty apolitical and I, I fuck with people from all different spectrums of life. I'm not like, I'm not one of these people that think you have to be a leftist to be a good person. Right. Yeah. We're not, you're Specifically not stuck in a camp and. Good, yeah. You know. I don't, I don't live my life that way. And I don't think that way, but I think there are a lot of wrestling fans that feel that way and they don't fuck with Kevin because they, for whatever reason, they view him as like a far right or Republican or whatever it is, conservative. But I think the other thing too, is just like, it, there might be some general, um, criticisms, but like I don't know if you recall when the guy first left ROH, he he was excellent in Ring of Honor, and then he came to New Japan and he was not knocking it out of the park immediately. There was uh, an acclimation period where he sort of had to get his feet wet, learn the product, and kind of grow into the role, and then he became the best commentator in the world. Um, so I assume that there's probably going to be a learning curve with him jumping into an entirely new environment and new type of production. Yeah, definitely. So, um, but anyways, we'll move on. Um, international tickets for, will be starting on uh, Friday, September 15th for wrestle kingdom 18 in the Tokyo dome. And I, I've heard that they, uh, they're doing really well on the, t- uh, like ticket sales for wrestle kingdom. It's probably going to be a, a good year for them. So that's great. That's awesome. Uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling's online streaming service and JPW World will see a major renewal in the autumn with a wave of new features and improvements. Fans will be able to enjoy content on dedicated iOS, Android, and Roku TV apps, sample content in full HD, download video content to watch offline, as well as benefit from improved search functionality and suite improvement, suite of UI, UX improvements. Uh, NJPW fans new and old will be able to enjoy New Japan action more than ever before. We're excited to bring you more details about the new NJPW World soon. Along with the renewal of the NJPW World service, there will be changes to the pricing plan for monthly subscribers. So in Japan, uh, for uh, existing subscribers, it's going to be 1,298 yen. And for uh, uh, international descri- uh, subscribers, it's going to be 999 US dollars. Uh, that's for new subscribers. So I think for those of us that already have the service, we're grandfathered in. It's still the same price, but for anyone that joins after, it's going to be $9.99 international. Um, current subscribers to New Japan World who continue to re- uh, use the subscri- subscription after the service renewal will be charged $12.98. Okay, they're just saying the same thing that I just said. Perfect. So basically, we're getting a new New Japan world with a lot of new features and uh, accessibility, basically, and functionality with new pricing. We're actually getting a mobile app. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently. And we got some questions about this. MJ Does PR asked, what are we hoping to see out of this new NJPW world app? Well, first of all, just having an app that you can actually download from an app store, something you can stream from the app to a uh, Chromecast or whatever player you have, uh, HD uh, footage. Uh, not as like yeah. pixelated footage we get sometimes. Um, yeah, le- just a smoother experience, less crashing. 
um, maybe a better interface. I think that what they have right now is serviceable, but it's not necessarily great. They have improved it over the years, but it could be better. I, I would like to have more access to more content, to be honest with you, but that's just me. I, I, I like to troll the, the archives. I don't know if everyone else is like me <laughs> looking to do that, but um, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of the things that they're talking about are positives. Uh, Rambo and Slam Pig said, with the news of a NJPW world redesign being announced, what features are you hoping to see? I'm hoping for a higher bitrate video stream to avoid some of the motion blurring. Um, Stardom slash NJPW combined service would be the dream, but I realize it's unlikely. Yeah, I mean, it would be cool to kind of have like a Bushi Road world kind of thing and you have both of them on there, but that would be cool. I think they're trying to keep those. Also, they're promoting each other, but I think they're also trying to keep them as their own kind of entities. Um, but yeah. They're on different TV channels. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Yeah. Um, Bash said, how does the app change the advert for the beginning of the show? All jokes aside, why did it take so fucking long for them to create an app for the service? And uh, I don't know. You know, uh, one thing we've heard is that like in Japan, streaming it's just not as culturally um, popular as like they're still using like actual physical um, media over there a bit more than we do here in the States and in the Western world. Um, so that's probably part of it. Um, probably the cost is another reason. But uh, as far as like changing the advert for the show, I did wonder like how this might potentially affect uh, Danny and the NJPW EXT. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, Danny's done a lot of work with the EXT to really kind of help improve the the web experience of the site, and you know, adding some better translations, the dark mode, and the, the playlist, the watch parties. He's done a lot of work, and I know that he's talked to them in the past. And you know, I don't know exactly what why they wouldn't bring him on their team to help out with the stuff, but. Uh, yeah, it might totally change up the way the EXT works. Um, he might have to rebuild something, or who knows? Maybe he'll he'll call it a day if it's too difficult. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to him in a while, but um, hopefully, yeah, he keeps it going as long as he can. The 2023 edition of NJPW's World Tag League has officially been announced. The annual tournament will begin on November 20th and conclude in uh, Kumamoto on December 10th. Uh, NJPW Strong Fighting Spirit Unleashed 2023. Uh, they've announced a couple matches here. We have Stephanie Vecquar and uh, Zoexis versus Joni, Robbie, and Luvia. Uh, there's also going to be an Atlantis uh, anniversary match where Atlantis, Atlantis Jr., Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Mystico team up to take on Adrian Quest, Rocky Romero, Soberano Jr., and Tiger Mask. Um, the NJPW Academy Showcase has returned. The first match is set for October 7th. NJPW Academy graduate Matt Vandegrift makes his NJPW strong debut as he meets Rocky Romero in singles action. Zane J becomes the first student to complete both beginner and advanced academy courses and makes his professional debut against one of his trainers, the DKC. NJPW Tamashi number eight is taking place, I believe, this week, and full card is listed. Johnny Gardner versus Vincent Di Maria, Charlie Evans versus Kyla, Kevin Knight versus Cherry Stevens and Frankie B. The Velocities take on Trent, uh, Hooper and Tyler Isles. Andrew Villalobos and Jake Taylor take on Jordan Allen Wright and Tyron Tucky. Caveman Ugg versus Malcolm Flex. 
Joker and the Thief take on the Rogue Armies, Bad Luck Fale and Jack Bonza. Uh, Joker and the Thief, that's the team of Mick Moretti and Jimmy Townsend. Semi-main event, Aaron Jake, Beckman, and Michael Spencer versus Eli Taito, Mark Tui, and Richard Mulu. And then the main event, the Natural Classics, Steve and Tomei Philippe take on the TMDK team of Kosei Fujita and Robbie Eagles. And then uh, last bit of news is a Fale Dojo update. Yeah, so I know there was a, a second Reddit post um, that kind of came out with some more information about what's been going on at the the Fale Dojo. So it seems like more stuff has been coming out about that. Um, we did get like a, an anonymous message from somebody who's at the dojo and it's kind of told us some stuff that we're not going to share on the air right now because also we don't really break news and then, you know, they ask to remain anonymous, but what I will say about it without going into detail, they virtually basically confirmed everything that we've heard, you know, uh, and maybe expounded a little bit, but for the most part, they've pretty much concurred. And I listened to Jcast earlier today and they also received, um, I don't, I don't believe it's from the same person. Uh, they said that they received multiple unsolicited, private messages from individuals that have attended or been affiliated with that dojo and gotten similar types of messages that we did. So the fact that there are people reaching out and basically confirming the stories that have already been shared on uh, Reddit, uh, I think that speaks volumes. Yeah. So yeah, definitely something needs to to be done there. Uh, Yeah. And uh, yeah. Definitely. Um, one thing that I, I heard them mention on Jcast that I hadn't heard is they were saying that um, the New Japan uh, Lion Mark logo has been off the doors of their dojo for quite a while. And so I am kind of wondering if if they're even still technically affiliated to begin with. And maybe it's kind of like a strained relationship or a, like a defunded sort of thing that we haven't been privy to type of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. But well, um, some of the stuff, like one of the updates said that New Japan's aware of the situation. So I don't know, but who know? You know how that goes. Like <laughs> you know, like they they might be aware of it, but uh, you know, I'm not fully expecting unless they didn't come out so far and say like, you know, we're saddened to hear about blah blah blah. And we're do we're being forthright and uh, you know, launching a full inge- investigation. You know, and even if they did, like. Remember when Ring of Honor was doing investigations? They they never. <laughs> <laughs> you never heard what happened. Yeah, we never found out about Jay Lethal. We never found out about <laughs> all sorts of shit that they were investigating. So you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a, a you know go back and listen to some of the comments we made last week, and you know um, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to Reddit, look up. Folly Dojo. I'm sure the information's there. We shared it on our Twitter page as well. You can find it there. It's it's all over Twitter. Um, but you know, uh, do your own research. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's out there, and it's not a good situation uh, at all. Yeah. So yeah, it's a grift. <laughs> and that's gonna do it for the news. We got some questions, and then we're gonna get out of here. Yeah. Def Triangle Seven Twenty says, "What do you think New Japan should do about their strong belts? Merge them or delete them?" <laughs> um, I don't know, man. Like, it, it doesn't matter what I think about. <laughs> That's the short answer. Like, we already said that we kind of thought that the the belts were superfluous to begin with, but 
they're they're persisting, so they're not going to get rid of them anytime soon that I'm aware of. Um, the you know for me, kind of the bigger question is, um, what is the future of strong? We we talked to Rocky about that, and he kind of shared some of his thoughts and uh, opinions and ideas. But then at the same time, it looks like New Japan might be kind of pulling away from the Western side of the business a little bit. And one of the things that they had released in a press release last year was like, we're moving away from quantity. We're going to give you quality. And I don't want to shit on the shows we're getting from New Japan Strong, but they're not quite what I had in mind when I thought that we're moving to a more New Japan style presentation. It, it is good what they're doing. I mean, even look at the Las Vegas show that's coming up. We're getting a lot of CMLL representation. They're going to have some of the uh, more classic strong guys involved again. But I think we're right back in the weeds of like having a regional, you know, Western kind of offshoot company being represented as a, as opposed to like something that fits into the greater um, kayfabe of New Japan proper. And that's not what new japan had promised la late last year when they were like or whenever it was that they they were sending out the press releases so i am still wondering what is the fate of new japan strong to begin with yeah i'm just always kind of been confused as like why like i get why new japan strong started all season during the pandemic to give guys work but i never really thought you needed a separate brand just for the u.s i mean we saw what new japan did um, you know, Walter Pyramid, you know, a lot of those first set of the U.S. shows, like, they didn't, they weren't called strong, they weren't, like, they didn't have some branding, it was like, New Japan Pro Wrestling's here in America, it's like, it's New Japan uh, show in America, um, but uh, I guess with the strong branding, they want to kind of keep that going. One thing that Rocky said on our interview, and I mean, I'm not trying to blow up his spot, but I don't know, the, the wording I thought was interesting is he said that we're essentially a separate company. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's a figure of speech or if they're literally a separate like business entity. You know what I mean? And well, that like kind of explains some of it. I don't know. Well, remember at one point, like New Japan of America like became like an official like subsidiary like right. company thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I, the reason I say that is because like I recall when uh, Dragon Gate USA like existed, they were owned by Gabe Sapolsky. Like they were. A, a sister promotion to Dragon Gate, but they were not drag. You know what I mean? Like right. they, did, they weren't owned by Dragon Gate. Yeah. So I don't know, and I've always wondered if it, if there's something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But um, uh, it, I still like what they're doing. Um, but it's just not what they had kind of said they were going to do. And you know, I think that kind of narrowing down the uh, identity of the brand would tell you whether or not the titles are needed or not. Yeah, because we didn't think the titles were needed because it seemed like they were moving more towards just incorporating New Japan proper and just moving that way. But it, that seems not to be the case. And if that's not the case, then maybe, yeah, maybe those strong titles are needed for the brand. Yeah, especially, you know, Rocky said he does hope that they get back to a weekly show. So, yeah, if you're going to bring back the weekly show, then the, right. the titles are needed. Um, Def Triangle also asked, should New Japan consider making certain big shows much shorter with smaller cards, all killer, no filler approach? Um, I'm wondering what that means exactly. Like, what big show would they do that for? 
Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like most of like the the bigger shows are all killer. You know, you also your Wrestle Kingdoms, your Dominions, shows like that. I mean, I would agree to this when you're talking about some of those shows where it's like a three night thing and they've they split the matches up across three big shows instead of just doing like one big show. Well, when he says a shorter show, all killer, no filler, that sound that reminds me of like a like an NXT style approach, you know, like a, just a two hour show, five, which five match card, five matches. And I'm like, okay, that might be an interesting idea, but where would we implement it is what I'm wondering. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm not opposed to it, but where, what are we sacrificing? When are we doing this? How does that fit into their business model? Especially being like a, uh, you know, like a touring company. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, his last question is that should stardom and new Japan do another historic crossover show. I loved that show. I, I, I hope they do do more stuff like that, especially with the, you know, the, the women's titles. And you know, it's funny. It's like, we're doing the news and it's, it, it is really hard to keep up with everything. But like Julia is defending that belt. I think pretty regularly right now, we barely <laughs> hear about it, but uh, yeah, I, I think with the fact that there are two women's titles from new Japan in stardom right now, it would make sense. But Unfortunately, nothing like that's happening right now. Yeah, I think a store crossover would be great. I'll see one parent company. You want to promote both brands. You want crossover. You want all your fans watching both shows. So I think the first show was a success. I think they should definitely do one again in the future. Uh, next question from Dark Soldier. Given Punk's termination from AEW, should Kojima have beaten Punk in Forbidden Door, fought Samoa Joe Wembley, maybe be the true face of Collision? <laughs> I don't know, Jeremy. What's what? What are your feelings oh, on that? Definitely. I mean, <laughs> Kojima went out there, had a better match than the Ace at Forbidden Door. Uh, yeah, he should he should have been Punk, and yeah, he he should be you know in line for the AW World Title. I saw where he uh, he tweeted about Punk, and he meant like it didn't make sense because it was like you know um, translated from Japanese, and the translations are not always perfect. But he said something about like you know. I, I dropped my elbow on his nuts. I didn't mean to, but yeah. we'll always have that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Barry Wall says, I went down in a Karamaeda rabbit hole this week and was just wondering what your opinions of him are. I like his style, but can't say I like the man, but can't deny he had an aura about him. Oh, I fucking love Akira Maeda. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, you know, Akira Maeda, one of the things about him is, uh, once he once he shot off from New Japan proper, like you know, all the way, and then went and created rings. There's a lot of great things he did do, but one of the things I think is sort of uh, exposed was that he wasn't necessarily a quote unquote elite fighter necessarily. And part of the aura of Akira Maeda is like you know the marketing behind him was like of all the shooters of his era, he was supposedly like marketed as like the ace, like the next Anoki essentially. But I don't think he ever really was that guy. But, um, you know, when he was in new Japan, uh, I thought Akira Maeda was really awesome. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot of controversy around the guy with him getting, getting into shoot fights with like Andre the giant. And then when he kicked Ricky Choshu in the face and, you know, when he left to form the first UWF and then 
you know, UWF reborn in the late 80s and all that sort of stuff. But um, there's no denying that Akira Maeda was a huge, huge star. A, a guy that, like, if there, if there are any missed dream matches that the company could have and should have done that would have, like, done huge business, like him and Inoki in, like, 85, 86 is easily one of those biggest dream matches that should have happened. I, I really like Akira Maeda. And as far as like um, workers from the 80s, uh, he's one of the very, very best. He's one of the, the pioneers of shoot style and thus MMA. And yeah, he definitely had an aura about him. He's a very special guy. And, uh, you know, uh, what he did in rings where he started bringing in the, the Eastern European um, and the Russian fighters and everything like that, that was like very influential as well. Um, Akira Maeda is the fucking man. And vicious, vicious kicks, incredible kicks. Yeah, we've watched some of his stuff on the recommended match, and you showed me some stuff uh, in the past. And yeah, definitely great. Yeah, great kicks. Uh, definitely had an aura about him. I uh, think the most famous match that I've shown you is the one with him in uh, Fujinami, where he does the um, capo kick to Fujinami and busts him open hard way. And they have to, like, they go to a double down, they have to stop the match. Yeah. And that's like a, you know, that's, I think that's from 80, I want to say seven. I can't recall, but I know it's like, I mean, that's like kind of universally considered one of the best 1980s matches that you'll ever find. Yeah. Uh, last question here from Hawaiian Punch BV. Thought on Sean Strickland's upset victory over Izzy. How strange is it? Both greats of the middleweight division got taken down by simple boxing. Weidman and Bisbing were able to double up on their punches and box Anderson Silva's face Anderson Silva's face off. Strickland's distance management and parrying Izzy's jabs away let him box up Izzy's face. Yeah, I mean yes and no. Um part of it is the fact that um in both cases, both Weidman and um Sean Strickland had better wrestling than the champion, the respective champions they were facing. And so it's like, yes, they beat him with boxing, but it's because their grappling was so high level that that wasn't really an option for those um, champions to kind of go at him from that respect. And another similarity, both Sean Strickland as well as Chris Weidman were bigger, stronger men who were probably dangerous to those champions on the inside. Um you know, whereas some of the, their other challengers might not have been quite as much. Plus, again, the threat of wrestling is always there. So you're not as even even like a Muay Thai practitioner like uh, Anderson Silva is less prone to get into a plum clinch when, uh, you know, when when like a top division, you know, a top elite divisional wrestler like uh, Chris Weidman could take him down. Um, I don't know that I agree that Chris Weidman boxed Anderson's face off necessarily. I think it was a. Uh, I don't think it was quite the same thing as what we saw here with Sean Strickland. In some ways, the Sean Strickland match sort of kind of reminded me of when uh, Rampage, it's different tactics, but when Rampage was this unbeatable, you know, force and champion, and then he got uh, his lead, le- uh, lead leg kicked out from underneath him by Forrest Griffin in a completely unlikely title change. That was like a huge upset at the time. People kind of forget. Um, kind of reminds me of that a little bit, but. Yeah, there's no doubt Sean Strickland boxed the shit out of Izzy. And, you know, I I kind of have to wonder 
what the fuck happened there because I've watched Izzy for a long time and he just didn't fight the way he normally does. I'm not trying to take anything away from Sean Strickland, but even he during the press conference in the post fight was like at certain points in the match, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Even he was confused about the way Izzy was fighting. One thing I will say, 34 years old, over a hundred combat fights on him and he's a reactive fighter. Um, you know, time waits for no man. I'm not going to say the guy's washed, but you have to wonder if he's already coming out of his prime, especially coming off of a major knockout uh, from Alex Pereira not too long ago. So um, very interesting. They're going to rematch. You know, we'll see what that's all about. I don't know. Um, I, I was shocked, though. I did not expect Sean Strickland to be a, a viable challenger. And while we're on the subject, I fucking hate Sean Strickland. I think he's a deplorable, deplorable awful human being so like i hope someone knocks his ass out again <laughs> yeah i don't really know much about him and yeah i saw that he was fighting izzy i was like oh this should be an easy w for izzy and then i landed from boston and saw that the, the clip of him just getting pieced up by strickland i was like what <laughs> yeah i and i don't agree about the chris weidman thing because chris took anderson down quite a few times in the first fight and he took him down in the second fight and used his uh you know weight and his ground and pound to, to kind of uh wear wear on the guy and then um you know yeah he did catch him with a big punch but i don't think he outboxed him i think he he caught him on the button and part of the reason why was you know anderson was uh you know anderson was doing stupid stuff in that fight yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and h caught up to him but um yeah i don't think it's quite the same situation personally yeah all right, uh, recommended match of the week. Uh, so last week for the recommended, I recommended AJ Styles versus Hiroki Goto from the 2014 G1. Yeah, I watched this match, and um, you know, one thing I I kind of forgot this is the only singles meeting between these two guys. Um, so kind of interesting from that respect. I thought it was a, a very good. I would not call it a great match but still a very good match nonetheless. And I think the stakes were a lot higher in 2014, given the fact that Goto was still kind of like a player in, in, you know, the top divisions at the time. And uh, AJ Styles, I can't recall if he was world champion during this G1 or not. I think he was, I think he was. Yeah. But um, the match is very good. Um, just like a lot of the matches during the 2014 G1. And um, uh, it gets really really good down the tail stretch and you know it, it kind of reminds like you you watch aj today and like aj's still good but it's, it's he's not aj styles like he was and then i watched this match and i'm like fuck aj was so aj was like one of the best he was wrestlers. A man yeah like <laughs> really really good and you know one of the like and he was coming into this place where like he wasn't you know in his earlier years he was just a go 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 guy and like that was great too but like in 2014 he was like putting it all together and he like had kind of figured out the timing and and the perfect like pacing and you know making the most out of all of his stuff mean the most and goto was really great here too and they, they had pretty good chemistry i think that uh you know if they had gotten a chance to work together again later on down the road they probably could have had an even better match um Goto does hit a, a major um, code red off the top rope, which was pretty awesome. But ultimately, 
AJ Styles hits the uh, Styles Clash for the one, two, three. I think it's like a 14, 15 minute match and uh, very, very good, very easy watch. I probably go like three and three quarters. Nice. And then for the excursion match, you recommended Toshi Kojima versus Yuma Aoyagi from the recent All Japan Pro Wrestling show. Uh, really good matchup here. Very hard hitting. Um, the beginning of the match, uh, Yuma is um, kind of mocking Kojima, and he's he's doing the machine gun chops and you know the Chaozo Bakayero, and Kojima was not liking that. He was going to go for the the elbow drop. Kojima lariated him off the top. To the outside, um, and then Kojima was got, got a, a, a flurry of offense. He was kind of in control of the match, and he was end up hitting a lot of his big stuff. He's hitting the Koji cutters, uh, tents on Tombstone drivers. He's hitting lariats, the the DT on the apron. Um, it seemed like he you know, was in control for a, a good part of the match there. And then uh, Yuma uh, came back and was hitting a lot of his uh, signature moves. It was a, a great uh, near fall towards the end off the, the Western Lariat. The crowd popped and thought that uh, Kojima was going to get the win. Uh, but eventually, uh, Yuma hits his like spinning fisherman brain buster type maneuver and uh, ends up uh, pinning Kojima. Uh, so really fun, really hard hitting matchup here. Uh, I don't think it'll be a, a candidate for a surgeon match of the year, but still a fun matchup and a great performance from uh, Kojima. Yeah, I felt bad because I realized a few hours ago, I was like, oh, shit, I never sent a link to Jeremy for this match. But then I realized that you you hadn't reached out for one. So I was like, I guess he probably found one. <laughs> yeah, it was really easy to find. It was on YouTube. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, this week is my week for recommended match of the week. And I'm going with Big Van Vader versus Ricky Choshu from August 19th, 1990. I was sure to uh send you the link for that one thank you for that and then the uh scourging match of the week will be sonata versus jake something from impact emergence from august 27th and this match is on njpw world under the impact wrestling section is it good i i've heard that it was a, a pretty good matchup okay <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Jake something's Thanks, pretty man. Good. Jake something's pretty good. I, I think he's got something, and so. <laughs> nice. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Uh, next week, we'll be back to review uh, this week's Road to Destruction show and uh, preview Destruction in Kobe. So if you enjoy today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the keeping a strong style logo make sure you connect with us on social media on twitter or x whatever uh, it's at ki strong style you can follow me at jeremy l donovan follow the network at social suplex facebook facebook.com slash social suplex on instagram at social suplex on reddit on the pro black guy just keeping a strong style you can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. And All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Sumowitz. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.